Trading futures carries a high degree of risk and may not be suitable for all investors. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Hello and welcome to Behind the Screens. I'm your host, Ian Blanke. And on today's episode, we have another mini-sode with Futures Trader 71, Mr. Morad Askar himself. Morad, how are you today? Thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm doing great. Great. So funny enough, the day we're recording this, you actually did a webinar earlier on um, trading like a professional, and we're going to be discussing developing a trading plan, uh, which obviously is a huge component into, at least in my opinion, in someone's longevity as a trader and actually hopefully finding your edge to remain in this game long term and over time, see the results that you want to see. So my first question to you, Morad, may seem silly. What is a trading plan? So to put to be put simply, it is um, a roadmap for how you're going to run your trading business. So uh, most traders uh, that I've encountered come into this uh, believing that all you need is some money and a trading platform uh, and off to the races you go. But actually, this is a business uh, and on the other side of your trade, you know, the people that we are selling to or buying from may be professionals. And so at a minimum, we need to have a plan with very clear components as to what we're here for, what our objectives are, what's going to drive us, how we're going to do it, what it's going to cost, that sort of thing. Uh, so uh, as a baseline, I would not start a business, even if it's just a donut shop or a hot dog stand without sitting down and figuring out what my costs and, um, you know, how am I going to generate revenue? What is my edge? Uh, why do customers want to buy my hot dogs or donuts? Uh, that's it. It doesn't have to be really complicated. It could be uh, two pages of just simple uh, questions being answered. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, you kind of answered this next question I was going to ask in that response, but you know, why is it key to our success? In other words, if I am going to open up a hot dog stand, why do I need to do all of this work before I even launch my hot dog stand? The, the key element here that I didn't say is in your mind, before you allocate money to it, what do you need to succeed? That's it. This is why we need it. We're thinking through the process and finding um, weaknesses and threats in our perception of what trading is going to be like. So that's why it's key to success. It is preventing us from taking steps before we even figured out what the path is going to be. So uh, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a very elemental piece that is seldom completed by independent traders. Yeah, agreed. I mean, you've used this expression before um, in many different aspects of life, but you know, going into something without going into trading without your trading plan would be like setting sail on a boat without any direction of where you're actually planning to go. And it's probably going to lead to you potentially getting stranded and losing your way uh, throughout that time frame. So I agree. what, um, you know, there's a lot of things that are built into a proper trading plan, right? So I think the number one 
um, that you and I both kind of listed is uh, the objective, right? Am I sitting here um, trying to make my, my living, am I doing this full time, trying to make my living off of this? Or is this something that, you know, I need to find a product that I can trade after work? Or am I just trying to make a couple extra hundred bucks a month? What's my goal here, right? Yeah. So that's, uh, you know, with every plan, with every business, there's always some sort of a mission or objective statement. Uh, and that should be carried through the entire plan. Uh, anything and everything we do needs to support that objective. Uh, you might come into trading um, with the belief that eventually you're going to learn just enough in order to be able to manage a long-term family account or something like that, but you want a day trade just to see what the short-term looks like so you can refine your plan for a long-term uh, kind of fund advisory or fund management type of thing. I might come in feeling like, hey, I'm doing this for fun. So it's a hobby and it's just for fun. My goals are, are very different than yours. Uh, and then others might be looking at this as, I'm making a career switch. This is my career. And so I'm going to be doing this as a, as a true professional. Those plans are going to look quite different. Yeah. That last one is one that I really, you know, I come across that quite a bit on the brokerage side and I kind of want to get into this second point here that, that you jotted down on our notes, which is your business structure, right? So if you're someone who's whatever, you're leaving your full-time job and you want to give this a go full-time, the structure and how you kind of build up, you know, your tools and costs and assessments is going to be very different from the person who just wants to do this as a hobby on the side, right? Yeah. So business structure is important, especially in futures trading, uh, even in equities. Uh, it doesn't matter what it is. For equities, for example, if you're someone who wants to uh, day trade the market, you're going to need a lot more than $25,000 because of the pattern day trader rule. Um, versus someone who is just buy and hold. Uh, are you trading for yourself? Are you trading enough? Are your expenses high enough and your revenue uh, 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 big enough that maybe you should be trading under an LLC versus as an individual? Are you trading enough that you may need to uh, buy a seat at the exchange, lease a seat at the exchange? Um, that's, that's a you know, depending on what your approach is, it's a lot like saying, I'm going to take a trip and answering this question is like saying, do I need a pickup truck, a minivan, an RV? What's going to help me complete this trip uh, in a most efficient way? So the business structure is the vehicle we're going to use to trade through. Yeah. And then, you know, on top of that, um, you've got your structure established. The next important thing is, and again, this is going to look very different depending on what your objective is, is funding and how much capital are you going to put into this? Um, you know, again, from the brokerage side, I get this a lot where people have kind of done those first couple of steps, right? They've established their objective. They know why they're trading. They've got their structure and then they fund with an amount that, in my opinion, and based on what I've seen, does not allow them to to really execute the rest of their plan, right? So someone who wants to fund with an amount that is well below what they would need to get a complete sample size of their live trading 
or someone who wants to fund with the bare minimum. And yes, futures are leveraged and can be an efficient vehicle in that regard, right? You don't have to put up the $25,000 to avoid a pattern day trading rule, but that doesn't always mean that you should fund with the bare minimum uh, that your broker or FCM or whatever requires. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a statistical piece to this. There's, there's also an emotional or psychological piece to this. I mean, if, if the minimum, if the absolute minimum I need, just imagine we're showing up at a poker tournament, professionals trading, and the poker tournament says you need $10,000 to play, but you're sitting at a table and everybody else has $100,000 worth of chips. How aggressive are you going to be when you're bluffing or when you have good cards? It's very, very limiting. So what we want is to ideally, even though it's still leveraged um, quite a bit, 18 to 1 or so, for example, for the ES, we we would want you to, um, I would advise you to fund with full margin per contract. So if you think you're going to trade, you need the ability to have two orders or two contracts active in the market, then go and and ask your broker, ask Ian or anybody here at EdgeClear what the margin is and look to fund with that amount. The reason we say that is because even though you're not holding a position overnight where you need the full margin, um, and you, you're probably going to start with day trading margin, which is 50% of that, you still need cushion so that you're not risking 15% per trade every time you take a loss. Right. And also because there are going to be drawdowns. I don't care who you are. You could be a 30-year veteran of trading. You're going to have drawdowns. So you want to allow room for that. What we don't want to trade is... Um, we, want, we don't want to trade with so little money that our back is always against the wall. And we're always kind of hunting out for wins because there's no way for us to tell whether a win is in the cards or not. So funding is an important piece and its capitalization is really one of the key stumbling blocks for traders. Yeah, agreed. And kind of on top of that is your product selection, right? You mentioned the ES. Um, not everyone contrary to some popular belief, has to trade the ES, right? Um, and if you're funding and want to fund with less capital, you can look at things like the micros or a lower margin index product like the Russell. It's not exactly one-to-one correlation with the ES, nothing is, but uh, things like that that have that lower capital requirement, that lower initial margin requirement from the exchange. Um, how, I mean, how did you go about kind of settling on the ES, Morad? Uh, I came to the ES from other products, more uh, more risky products. I, I started futures in a Dow, in the Dow minis. Uh, and back then, the margin was a lot smaller. But I've always traded in a prop environment. I was a prop trader. I worked as an employee for a prop firm. Then I started my own prop firm and managed myself and other traders. But what I'm sharing is always what I use. It's not something I read in a book. So... To me, uh, a, a very important piece of this is a very good broker, right? Because a broker can very can help you sort this part out. They can, um, especially a broker like you who also trades, you have a sense of what it's going to take and what the pain points are, are likely to be uh, for an incoming customer. Oh, so, yeah. I'm familiar with the pain points. 
<laughs> of course, we all are. Right. Um, so the next kind of couple of topics here, I, I want to group together a little bit, but that's basically trading hours and then the time frame that you're holding your trade, right? So again, goes with product selection. What times are you going to be trading, right? Um, if you're someone who's got a work day, you know, a full work day during the U.S. session, maybe turn to a different product like the European markets or the Nikkei or something like that, Nikkei. Yeah, I agree with that. There are a couple things in play here. Your trading hours are going to dictate the type of opportunity you have access to, the type of product that you can trade. Uh, generally, I would say I want to trade a market that has a, a, a live or um, a, a regular trading hour underlying product. So I would not want to trade, for example, uh, the notes or the bonds or the ultra bond at 9 p.m. Chicago time. Right. right? There, <laughs> there isn't a market underlying it. It's moving in sympathy with something else, uh, Asia most likely at that time of day. So instead, I would want to move to a more fundamental market, uh, which has a 24-hour book. Uh, fundamental markets are things like metals, uh, energies, things like that. So I would go to the MGC contract, which is micro gold. I would go to uh, micro crude, something like that, where there's a there's a cash market operating, you know, in in Singapore. Then then uh, there's also one in Dubai. Then it moves to London. Then it goes to New York at the at the NYMEX, and then it goes again to Asia. So that's one factor. The other factor is the time frame dictates. Funding dictates product selection, dictates opportunity and, and profitability because um, somebody who's trading off of a 60-minute bar chart mm -hmm. is going to need a lot more money and is basically trading on a short swing basis or short-term swing basis versus somebody who's scalping for ticks. They're in and out, in and out, in and out. You can use do that with a smaller account if you can compensate for the much higher cost of scalping. So those are other pieces that have to be worked out in the plan as opposed to somebody coming in without a plan, starting a trade because it looked good, thinking it's going to be a short-term trade, and then they try to defend it and turn it into a swing trade, right. and they're holding this trade for two weeks. Those all require very, very different uh, risk profiles, uh, funding amounts, and things like that. So right. these are you know, elemental as well. Right. Are you are you looking to buy this house for the next twenty years, or are you going to flip the house? Right. You know what what are you doing there? You need a bridge lo bridge loan, or do you need a mortgage? Two, two different right. things. <laughs> right. Uh, the next one as well would be your strategy and approach, right? Which we kind of just touched on. Um, how are you approaching the market? Are you trading short term? What does that look like for you? What is short term? Right. Are you scalping for a couple of ticks? Um, are you still going to be intraday holding for a few points based on rotations? What does that look like? You know, does your strategy provide for five opportunities in a day? Or if you took a bathroom break and your setup came and went, you're done for the day. Um, the, you know, what are you waiting for? What supports that strategy? Do you need a certain type of indicator that's very expensive? Uh, do you need certain data that, is normally not provided by an, a standard retail kind of broker. Um, again, these are things, these all go back to 
why a trading plan is important because we need to work these out. And if we don't have the information, then you have resources, right? We all have access to our broker. We have access to the internet to do some research. We have access to friends who may be also trading. We have access to um, various um, various uh, associations like the FIA and, 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 and the exchanges to learn about the things we need to learn, work these things out. And, and the important parts coming in after putting all this together, you come in, we all come in after having a plan together with a lot more confidence than somebody who's just slapped something, you know, slapped some money together, open an account and is just sitting there clicking and looking at little numbers flashing on the screen. Uh, that's the difference. Right, right. And to go along with that, and for me, this is, you know, you've done all this work, you've come to this point, you're probably opening an account. This next one, risk control. Um, this is where I see and hear of a lot of people getting burned. I can't tell you how many traders I talk to uh, once a week, maybe more, who say, hey, man, I've been doing this for a really long time. I've got a plan. I've used the same tools. I just can't put it all together when it comes to managing my risk. And this is a very, very big, you almost have to be robotic, in my opinion, with this particular aspect. So in the webinar I did today, uh, it's a public webinar that's available on YouTube. I asked, how do you set your stop size? How do you determine whether a stop should be six ticks or 30 ticks? And nobody answered. Uh, a few people then came out and replied with, I use 1% of my account. Uh, others said I use one and a half ATR. Those are okay, but for risk control, you have to be more specific. Is Because if I'm trading a small account, say $2,000, and I'm trading a product like the DAX, which, you know, the DAX has like a 12, uh, a DAX has a 30,000 euro Right. Per just, just a quick disclaimer here. You would not be able to trade the DAX with me for $2,000. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, you know, that's not going to add up, right? Your 1% is, you're never going to keep it to 1%. So there, there are two factors in risk control. One is the product's volatility and the value per tick. How much range can it cover in your time frame? From the time you open a trade till you close it, what is at risk? How much can be covered in that time period? Same as how the exchange computes margin. It just basically looks at how far can a one contract trade go in terms of range on a six standard deviation move in any given session. And that's your margin. You need to figure that out within, not for the session, but you need to figure that out within your time frame. Hey, I think I'm trading off of a one minute bar chart and I'm holding for about 10 to 15 to 20 minutes. Okay, what does that mean? Okay, in the Russell, that means I need about uh, 40 ticks worth of range. Um, okay, 40 ticks worth of range in the Russell, that's $400. Uh, uh, $400. Okay, yep. uh, $400 represents how much of my account? $400 is 16% of my account. Well, I can't trade the Russell. I need to move to the micro Russell. Yeah. That's, so that's also part of the, the planning process. Again, put pencil to paper, think these things through before we are in front of the market and we get distracted by everything else. That's what that risk control item is for. Absolutely. And the next one, 
is your growth plan. Obviously, we're putting together a trading plan. We're treating this like a business. Well, how do I grow my business? Yeah, so here, am I going to go for the ability to trade? Uh, am I going to make more money by trading more products? Or am I going to make more money by trading bigger in my product of choice? Um, those are very different things because you may your product of, uh, of choice might be uh, something like natural gas or Arbob or some other futures contract that is very, very thin. And at five lots, you may be trading the absolute maximum you can trade in there without uh, some extremely high risk. So your growth plan must be looking at what is the product, what is the liquidity in that product, and how do we escalate our size and how do we reasonably do so? And the recommendation is to only add an additional contract or grow in size by trading an additional contract once we've uh, earned enough to cover the margin for that additional contracts. For the micros, for the MES, for example, the, the uh, margin is $1,265. So every time I've made $1,265 and added that to my account, when I'm ready psychologically, I can move up. But until I've done that, I cannot add another contract. And that, and then once I lose the twelve sixty five that I've just added, I cut back and I go back to the size before it. And once I gain it again, I gain it again. And that's a reasonable growth plan that does not change or skew our risk structure to increase our risk of ruin or uh, our risk of being too emotionally involved in trades. So that's part of the plan as well. Yeah, absolutely. And then kind of the last component here would be. When's the, what's the termination? I mean, when do I say, you know what, this plan isn't working or my approach isn't working and I just need to cut, cut this one off and maybe give it another go with a different approach? Yeah. So here, um, how do I know when to quit? This is a very hard thing because the market's random in its outcomes and it, there's, it's constantly changing. How do I know what to quit? I think the only time I would tell someone to quit is if you've done absolutely 150% of what's required, that means you have your plan, you've followed your plan, you've focused on execution versus profits, uh, and you're doing everything correctly, you've eked out your edge, you know what it is, and yet you're running out of money or running out of time, it's probably time to move on. Here's the thing, even though you're terminating, the market will be here a year mm -hmm. from now, two years, five years. You can always come back and the market will have changed enough to possibly uh, be in your favor. Uh, it's better to quit, go away, do something else and come back than to continue to grind and to put ourselves in, a, in peril in the sense that we're spending our kids college fund and all of our savings trying to figure this out it's best to just start over do something else and then if if the opportunity allows to come back i encourage people to fail and fail gracefully versus pushing it till the end yeah and that's you know from from my side um it's better to be able to work with someone who is if they are going to fail failing gracefully 
than getting to know someone, a potential trader who's coming on board with EdgeClear, and then watching them blow up in two days. It's honestly, it's just painful because you've gotten to know people, the traders are start trading, and then it's pretty apparent almost immediately those that are attempting to do this for the long haul, and then the people who are going to be in and gone within a few days because it is a leveraged market and it can ruin you very quickly if you are not ready to go. Um, one thing that I want to add, Borad, is uh, as far as kind of developing this plan and getting starting with it, started with it, uh, you have to make sure that, that you're willing and funded enough to get an actual sample size that is potentially representative of your plan's edge or maybe not edge that tells you you need to readjust, right? So for you, how right. many trades would that be? Well, I don't know what it is for me, but I can say that at a minimum, you need about 30 live trades before you should look at the outcome and the metrics for those trades to see if you actually have an edge. Um, we cannot take three trades and say, yeah, that's it. We're done. That's too, that's too small a sample. But you don't want to be sitting here 200 or 1,000 trades in before adjustments are made to uh, improve the overall edge. Those could be expanding your uh, stop or, uh, or, or bringing in scale outs, uh, profit taking, things like that. So that's a good point about the sample size. Right. And then, uh, you know, a couple more things to touch on before we wrap up here. How, how should I actually measure my progress, right? Should I measure it in dollars or what am I supposed to be looking at here to know if my plan is actually working out? So a key piece that, uh, again, in my travels among traders that is very often missing is I ask, send me your trading log, and they send me some sort of a CSV download load from their platform of all of their fills. That is a raw, that's just a fill log. A trading log computes the percent win, percent loss, percent full stop. Uh, the expectancy and so on. So keep a log. And then separately is a trading journal that is tied to the log. So we have the trading details, but we also have information about what each of those trades um, was wrapped up in, how it took place and so on and so forth. That's what the journal is supposed to do. And, and, and this is key in helping you figure out, is it me who's messed up? Or is the market just not favorable? The other thing is we want to measure our performance and progress not in dollars. We want to measure it in, I have a plan. I've worked it out in SIM. I've tested it. It works. Am I executing it properly in real time or not? This is a very difficult thing for most traders is the execution part. So if you measure it, if we sit here and measure every trade in dollars, we're missing the point because the, the dollars are the result. The act is the execution and we need to improve the act and then measure the result in, in terms of how well we execute it. So every trade in a log should come with a grade. You should know this was executed well, uh, you know, poorly, whatever, this needs improvement. Here's the area that needs improvement. So that's that's how we measure our plan. We don't want to sit here and look at our statement, look at the bank balance and say, well, I'm down 200 bucks. I'm not doing so great. Well, those may be the best 200 bucks you've ever spent. Uh, so it's better to measure expectancy and a risk adjusted return 
and the the quality of the execution itself. Yeah, I, absolutely. Nothing to add there. I agree 100%. Um, I think I've gotten myself in a lot of trouble before trying to measure my trading plan and growth based on dollar amounts rather than how the plan is actually being executed. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is kind of my last thing, and, and I want to add a few pieces to relate to it from what I've heard from my end. But do you think your broker should work with you to see your plan succeeds? Like, Who should I be accountable to outside of myself about my trading plan? So I've been in the business for 21 years, and generally brokers, this is in general, brokers are salespeople. Generally, they're not interested in looking at a trading plan or how it works. Uh, I know that sounds cynical, but that's how it is. However, a, a broker is so instrumental to our progress because a broker can really give us feedback on how our risk is working. A broker is the person who can set risk. They can set auto liquidation limits. A broker is also also a key resource in that you can always tap your broker to say, hey man, I'm having a really terrible month. How is everybody else doing? That's a tough question for a broker to answer, but a broker might have insight because they, they may be a broker watching 2,000 accounts and they may say, Hey, yeah, for all of our short-term traders, it's been a tough one. That is a very inspiring thing here because it tells us that, okay, we need to cool our jets. We need to slow down. It's just not a favorable market. Uh, that's, that's what a broker's role is. They're not there to just have you fill out an application and go away. Also, a broker has seen many types of blow-ups, many types of successes, uh, and they're a resource that we should tap into. Yeah, absolutely. I I will add on top of that, there, as you mentioned, are a lot of brokers out there who would love for people to just fill out account apps and start clicking and never have to talk with them. Um, And if that fits your your style, then by all means. But if you do want a broker who has trading experience and who has seen those 2000 plus accounts and what they've done, um, then come to EdgeClear. You know, I got no other way to sell it. Sorry for giving a sales pitch at the end of this because you just said most brokers <laughs> are salesmen, but it's the truth, right? Um, so <laughs> uh, that's all I got for you, Morad. I really appreciate it. When we put this episode out, I will include some of these points in the description so you listeners can take a look at you know what the components are and, and how you can start about building this if you don't already have a trading plan. And I can say from personal experience, uh, before I put together any sort of plan and decided that I just wanted to go click around in the market, uh, that was a very quick way to lose a lot of capital. And not to mention that I didn't learn anything from it because I didn't even try to make a structure. As soon as I put a plan together, I learned a lot more about myself and about trading. Yeah, that, that's that's exactly right. That's a very sage advice. Perfect. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. And uh, Morad, you have a great one. Thank you.